Hello everyone and welcome to Nice the Day FC. I'm Josh Taylor and I know it's been a month since our last show, but we got another exciting episode for you today as we are now in March. And that means we are much closer to the season starting with uh, some player signings. Uh, we got the soccer team up in Chicago has a name, so I'll just share my thoughts on that. And of course, we also get to discuss the latest news surrounding the Nisa League. So sit back, relax, stay tuned, because we got a great show coming right up. Welcome to the show, guys. Now, I know it's been a month since our last show, since I'm recording on Monday, March 1st. And you guys know, usually I like to start Nisa Day FC with the lead, uh, the three big stories that kind of happened the past month in the league and share thoughts on those. But unfortunately, this past weekend, we had a situation at the U.S. Soccer AGM. You guys know, I don't want to leave a show talking about you know racism and hate and all these things. But unfortunately, in the game of soccer, as we love to call it, the beautiful game, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we definitely saw that this weekend with the U.S. Soccer AGM. Now, before I get into exactly what happened, because Nisa is talking about it and some of their clubs are talking about it. And if they're talking about it, it means I got to talk about it. So let me share with you what the league and some of their clubs posted on social media after uh, the comments made by Steph Young. So let's start with the National Independent Soccer Association. The National Independent Soccer Association is completely disgusted by the comments made by Sefian during the U.S. Soccer AGM. Racism has no place in our society. Those who expose racist thoughts shouldn't be representing our game in any way. NISA will always be an anti-racist organization. So that's from NISA. Another club that posted their thoughts was Flower City Union which is going to be the new team based in Rochester, New York, that's going to start play in 2022. They posted on Twitter, in light of Seth Yon's comments during the U.S. Soccer AGM, Flower City Union acknowledges that sentiments such as his are unfortunately prevalent throughout the United States, but will have no place within our club. We will not downplay the plight of the others, and we will only use our power and influence to right the wrongs of our past and present. We support the vote of repel Previously, U.S. soccer policy that required all players to stand for the national anthem. We encourage players, coaches, and staff members to use their voices and actions in defense of those who have been historically and who are currently being subject, subjected excuse me, to harm. And the last one I'll read comes from Maryland Bobcats FC. Maryland Bobcats FC posted, After reviewing the events yesterday at the U.S. Soccer AGM and listening to all of Seth Young's comments, Maryland Bobcats FC are sad and disgusted that these views are held by a person in a position of power. As a completely minority-owned club, having a completely minority-based coaching staff and a majority-minority-based roster, every part of our club has experienced racism, bigotry, and been told they couldn't accomplish their goals. We've proved them wrong up until this point and will continue to fight for equality for all people. No matter their background, we want to be a platform for for our players, staff, and fans to use in a positive and inclusive manner 
and that continues to make our world a better place. Barely Bobcats FC has been and always will be hashtag for all, and we look forward to continuing to be inclusive and anti-racist. So those were some of the comments from the league and some of his clubs after Sefian's comments this past weekend. Now, in case you don't know what happened, I'll just give you a brief recap on what happened. So on February 27th, a couple days ago, U.S. Soccer Athletes Council voted on repealing Policy 604, which, as the club mentioned earlier, relates to requiring players to stand during the national anthem. And this passed by a 71% margin. Well, past majority needed to pass. And after this, Seth Yan, who is a Paralympic athlete and was on the Athlete Council, keyword, was on the Athlete Council, which I'll get to that in a minute, decided to go on this seven-minute racist rant. Basically made it very opinionated and put misleading information. That wasn't true. Me being African-American and reading some of his comments made me felt, wow, U.S. soccer, do, do, we, do you guys have like people in this organization that believe like that? Like, wow, we're so appalled that, you know, they, they have people that, that do that. And I know some people out there may have those views, but at the end of the day, you know, there's no place in the game for racism. And he clearly went out of bounds saying things like there's no data that supports evidence of police brutality and minimizing slavery by saying only 8% of the people own slaves. Even though he was making U.S. soccer so uncomfortable and they asked him to wrap it up, he still kept going for like another, I don't know, two, three minutes just saying stuff like this. And at the end of the day, I'm like, U.S. soccer, you know, if this is a this is a virtual meeting, right? You know, you can press the mute button, you know. But I guess U.S. Soccer was worried about being accused of censorship and lawsuits and all that. Well, to be fair, U.S. Soccer's had some lawsuits they're still dealing with, but they just didn't handle the situation well as they could have. And the president, Cindy Parlo Cohn, and after the whole thing, people were asking her about it, and she said. I didn't hear everything he said. That was the first thing she said. Then she said, uh, we're trying to include diversity, equality, and uh, inclusiveness, and we need to hear all sides. Now, once she said this, this clearly did not go very well with everybody. And Megan Linehan on Twitter basically summed it up perfectly, saying, the Federation allowed a six-minute racist rant lacking facts on their platform. There's no need to hear that. And basically using excuse of DEI, diversity, inclusiveness, and equality, to make uncomfortable conversations. It's just not the approach you want to handle it. And he posted the next day my apology letter. But it really was not an apology letter. He basically said that he's does not going to apologize for what he said the day before. The U.S. Soccer Athlete Council decided to move swiftly, remove him uh, due to a behavior clause in the bylaws uh, by a two-third vote based on their personal conduct policy. For U.S. soccer, I would say 
This is very troublesome. Yes, you removed him, but he's not the only one. I mean, 28% of the people that voted against repealing the policy 604-1, that's still, you know, out there. And U.S. soccer is going to have to figure out, you know, how to better incorporate, you know, their, what they're trying to say, diversity, equality, and inclusion. And the U.S. soccer board is going to have to consider when we have the next AGM next year, uh, how to restructure, you know, the, the board. You know, you right now the office council has most of the power, but you also got to look at youth organizations and all these things uh, that are involved with U.S. soccer. So they have to look into that. And, you know, take this very seriously. That's just my thought. They got to take it very seriously. And I know I saw when some of the leagues like Misa posted some thoughts, some people were saying like, oh, well, PLS and all these other things. And I'm like, look, Nisa made a strong statement. But as of 6 p.m. Eastern time here in Orlando, Florida, Nisa is the only one in a few other clubs that have said something about you know, Zephion's comments. I haven't seen anything from the NWSL, but Becky Sauerbrunn, who was on the council as well, made some comments saying that um, the comments made by Zephion is not shared by the council. And from the USL, I haven't seen anything from either League One or the championship division. Anyone say anything about that? And, well, Major League Soccer, the big boys of the group, haven't heard anything from him either. You know, we can only hope after this, that things can go up. Because at the end of the day, guys, there's no place in the game for racism. And I hope U.S. soccer really commits to making the changes that they've been saying. The ball on this one. But they need to fix it immediately and build this sport to make it more inclusive. Now that I got my thoughts on that out the way, let's move on to some positive news. Let's go to Chicago. Chicago needs to know more? That's right, guys. They are now known as Chicago House Athletic Club. As Peter Wilt, my trainer back and his team, released the team name, logo, and colors. And I, I like the colors. The, they really pop out really well. Uh, the name, I know, I'm, I like the name. It's really cool and unique, something different. And not like Chicago United or something. You know, and I know some people are like, oh, why they go with that name and this and that. But I'm like, look, guys, remember, from the beginning, they made it very clear that they want fan input on what the team wants to be. We got to respect that and roll with it. I think that's really cool. I think that that was very important to them because, remember, they had the Monarch of Madness with 68 team names and they narrowed it down to the eventual winner. That was Chicago House, which won by a two-to-one margin over Point Chicago. Now, Chicago House is a music that originated in Chicago to reference the cultural influence and history in Chicago. It also uh, honors the city's house music tradition. Now, the logo is a house shape with a C and an H, and the color is patina green, orange, and black. Now, how they sell on the color for the team, uh, based on the team uh, website where they break down the logo and the colors and everything, uh, the patina green was inspired by the lion sculptures that stand guard outside the city's famous Art Institute 
of Chicago. Black represents the founder of the city of Chicago, Jean-Baptiste Point du Sable, and for the tallest building in Chicago, the Sears slash Willis Tower. And the color orange is used to represent uh, the deep rust shade, and that's a tribute to Chicago's industrial past. So I thought that was really cool how they use that fan input for the club. Also, you see above the letters, there's that municipal device. And I've seen that before because I remember back when I interviewed Peter Wilt last year, he had mentioned uh, that he was trying to start a team uh, in the NASL, Chicago. And they had that same municipal device logo. I felt that was kind of like a, a temporary logo thing. Until that league came about, or for that team, but it didn't happen. It's kind of cool that with his new team, Chicago House Athletic Club, we see that again. So they kind of, the way I see, it, they kind of incorporate a little bit of everything. You know, they got the municipal device in there, and then they also have Chicago House. Speaking of athletic club, they don't just plan just to be a soccer team, but they want to be a true athletic club. Peter Wilt. That said that they want to make Chicago Athletic Club a true athletic club in the image of professional soccer clubs around the world. They will add affiliate teams in different sports, similar to what we've seen in Europe with clubs such as FC Barcelona, Real Madrid, and FC Bayern München. To include, look, they got a great, very different logo, very cool, very different. Love the color scheme, as I mentioned. I just love how they're getting that fan input. It shows that it really matters to them to put in everything from uh, the name, colors, everything else, the stadium. I know they had a survey on where they, they wanted to probably play some games. Everything is all set up well for Chicago House. So now that part is done. Now we get to the fun part where they're going to start building the roster and everything else as we get close to their debut in August. Can't wait, guys. Now, for Chicago House Athletic Club, that wasn't the only big news, but they also announced last month that Chicago Fire legend and former New York Red Bulls assistant coach C.J. Brown will be the head coach and technical director. Now let's move on to the NISA League, where they announce the format for the spring season. Now, our last episode, we were hearing rumors about the format, but wasn't officially confirmed by the league yet. But now we know what the spring season will look like. And we'll basically have a tournament to kick off the season. That will start on April 13th and go to the 25th. That will be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Then phase two, a regular season. So kind of backwards from the fall season where we had the regular season and the tournament. Now we're going backwards, flip it, tournament, then the regular season. So for phase two, that will start May 1st. It'll be a traditional regular season hosting each team's market. And then the winner of the phase two, the overall table champion, will play the winner of phase one in the spring of 2021 final to be determined spring champion, which means Whoever wins phase one, of course, is referring to the spring tournament. So the spring tournament winner will play 
the regular season champion, whoever wins that will then go on July 3rd to play Detroit City FC in the final in Detroit. NISA also announced last month that they re-upped their contract with Hummel, their official kit and ball supplier, through the 2024 calendar year. NISA also announced that they have named Carrie Taylor as the managing director of its alliance with the UWS to lead a formation of the new Women's Soccer League. And also, last month, U.S. Soccer announced that they would have an abbreviated U.S. Open Cup tournament in 2021. NISA will send two teams for to represent the league in a tournament. Haven't heard anything on that end, but I'm pretty sure Detroit CFC's got to be one of them, right? they got to be at least one of them. The other one, I don't know. Uh, my guess is probably Chattanooga FC, but I'm sure we'll probably find out sooner or later. Now let's move on to some player signings that happened within the past month. Just here are some notable ones that caught my eye. We had, of course, the Maryland Bobcats FC. They announced that Kea Banjo as uh, the club's first pro signing. They've also had more signings since then. This was like right after our show, our last episode. Most of the players that I've seen that they post on Twitter have Maryland ties. Maryland ties in the state, and that's really cool. And Maryland Bobcats FC, I'm very excited to see what they do. They'll be the new kids in the block. They've won pretty much at every level they've been so far. And I'm pretty sure once this roster is all structured and put together, you're going to have a very competitive team that's going to make some noise. I'm going to look forward to see what they can do in the spring season. Detroit City FC, uh, they re-signed goalkeeper Nate Steinwasher. So he's coming back. Over in New Amsterdam FC, they made another signing. Jose Angulo uh, signed with the club. He's a former MLS player, and he played in the USL. His last club in the USL was with Hartford Athletic. LA Force, um, they had some signings as well. They have signed uh, Baltimore Pineda, Savarista bringing him back, and Diego Barrera. So that's some of the few of the signings that LA Force have announced. So for California United Strikers, they decided to go bachelor style with its returning players. I thought it was really creative, really cool. And, of course, you know, Christian Turjong, he's going to be coming back for another season. So that's really cool. They also signed goalkeeper Mitch North, and they also signed Gene Antoine. He was with Detroit City FC, and I think he was also with 1904 FC as well. California United Strikers making some uh, solid pickups at the goalkeeper position. And then Chattanooga FC, they have signed uh, Marcus Nagelstad, um, Sean Russell. He's re-signed with the club. And they also brought back Alec McKinley. So those are some of the notable uh, signings that we've gotten to catch up on the last month. Of course, there's a lot more. And with the season, literally next month, we'll have some more signings I'm sure we can talk about as we get closer to April 13th. All right, for my final thoughts this week, we're going to talk about the other big story happening in American soccer this weekend, Sacramento and their MLS hopes literally burst a bubble this weekend. Uh, on Friday, Ron Burkle, he decided to 
inform MLS that he's pulling out as the lead investor for Sacramento's MLS bid. Sacramento was announced back in 2019 that they were going to join MLS. Originally, it was supposed to be for 2022, but because of the pandemic, it got postponed to 2023. What's interesting about this is Ron Burkle, he hadn't he hadn't paid a dime, not one cent. He, he had paid to MLS. And he didn't even sign the paperwork uh, to pay MLS. So this is a, a crazy situation. I know we're an easy show, but I pay attention to see what's going on in soccer. Of course, follow NISA, but I'll see what's going on in USL and MLS. And with Major League Soccer, I mean, I feel bad for Sacramento. I really do. Those fans, they've been strung along since 2015. Remember back then, Don Garber went there, had a like a pep rally or something, and talking on the mayor and all these people. Four years later, they, after going through an investor, an investor, an investor, finally get somebody just to get them a ticket to get the MLS, and now this happens? Now, Ron Burkle had said that the cost of expansion – has gone up because he had to pay what $200 million. Building a downtown stadium was getting expensive. And of course, that's related to what's been going on with COVID-19. With remember, a year ago, a lot of businesses were starting to get shut down because of the pandemic. Of course, because of that, you know, costs has gone up. Now for Sacramento, um, the mayor mentioned that he's disappointed, but now they're gonna have to find another billionaire owner to remain in contention for MLS. I still don't think it's a good sign because MLS, they basically now open a door for another team to get in. And from what I've been reading, some people are saying, yeah, Sacramento, they got that fan support and everything. But if you're trying to get a MLS trying to get the next big TV deal that expires after the 2022 season, some people feel that Sacramento is not going to move the needle. So MLS is now thinking, well, Phoenix and Las Vegas or other markets that they can look at. To me, that's just bad, especially when in the league itself. It, they have three teams for sale. I live here in Orlando. So Orlando City, they've been on sale for a while. But I'm pretty sure Orlando City, they're not, they don't have to worry about going anywhere. They're going to get bought eventually and still be in Orlando. Houston Dynamo, another club that's for sale. But I don't think there's any really doubt that they're going to move anytime soon. I think they're okay. Real Salt Lake, I don't know. Real Salt Lake, the whole situation with Deloitte, Hanson, and that whole hot mess. And I don't know if they don't find local ownership, if Real Salt Lake is going to stay around. I mean, I hope they find some owners to keep Real Salt Lake in Salt Lake City. But we'll have to see what happens because they've been on the market for a while and, and still no buyers. And with COVID-19 still going on, it may be a while before we get an answer on Real Salt Lake's future. But for Sacramento, I just feel bad for them. And if they can't get an MLS this time, I mean, they may never get into it. And even if MLS expanded, let's say, what, 32 teams? I mean, I just don't think they're going to keep keeping the door open for Sacramento. So for Sacramento, they're going to have to find something as far as a ownership group to help get them back into MLS contention. But this also will affect their NWSL bid as well because they were planning to have an NWSL team start next season as well. Real unfortunate for, for Sacramento, but hopefully 
they will find a way to get in the MLS. If not, I mean, they're a very stable club in the USL, and I know Nisa's building their pyramid, but we got to give Nisa time, get it built out first before you start thinking about possibility of USL team switching going the other direction. We'll see what happens on that, but that's my final thoughts. All right, everyone, that is all the time we have for our show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to work on getting some guests for our show. So it's not just me talking the whole time. I'm working on that, especially now we get closer to the season. Try to get some different perspectives on what's going on with teams in the league. So stay tuned for that. But until then, if you want to follow the show, you can go on Twitter at Nisa underscore Today FC. Instagram at Nisa underscore Today FC. And on Facebook, follow our Facebook page at Nisa Today FC. And if you want to reach out to me, easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter at JTSaka88. That's at JTSOCKA88. And again, thanks for listening today, guys. And stay safe. And I'll see you next time.